Well, hi, everybody, and welcome to Anti-Bullying 101. This podcast is designed to create awareness about the bullying epidemic and provide teachers, administrators, parents, and even students information about the dangers of bullying and why we have to take a comprehensive approach when dealing with the problem. My name is Jim Burns. I'm your host. I'm a retired high school administrator with over 40 years of experience in education. Currently, I'm a college instructor, and I've designed the Bullyproof Classroom, a graduate course that provides my students with permanent help, not temporary relief, as they battle the bullying epidemic. Enjoyed the podcast, everybody. Well, hi again, everybody, and welcome back to Anti-Bullying 101. My name is Jim Burns, and I'm here to help you. Help you deal with bullying, help you deal with trauma, help you deal with this epidemic that we have going on right now, and it has been going on for a long, long time. I say it all the time. It's in schools, it's in the community, it's in society. It's in politics, it's in the home, it's everywhere. And it's something that we have to really begin to take a close look at. It's something that I I truly believe in. It's my passion that we have to create a more a kinder, more caring, more loving environment for all of us to live in. And we have to eliminate the harassment, the intimidation, the bullying the workplace bullying, the sexual harassment, the things that are causing people to uh, have low self-esteem are instilling fear in people and are placing them in a position where they can't perform up to their expectations because their confidence is just so low. And it starts in school. It starts in the home. There's no question about it. But the bottom line is, with the knowledge that we have today about this topic, we need to do more, and we need to do what we can to help people out. And it starts with the individual. It starts with the individual person, one person. The key to the 99 is the one. One person, and then another person, and then another person. And we start to spread this across the country and globally to help people feel more comfortable okay, within their, within their own skin and not having people going around believing that the lie, just the lie that other people have told them, you're no good, you're too fat, you're too smart, you're too dumb, you know, all of the above. And we have to live and let live and let people be who they are, whoever they are, 
and let them have a safe place within this culture and within this society. Now, the last time we were together, we had an interview with a, a gentleman named Ryan Roy. It was a great interview. I hope you catch that as well uh, in, the, um, in the episodes that uh, we have listed there for you. I also want to let you know that this podcast doesn't run on its own, and we rely on the support of our listeners. We rely on the support for, from those who maybe would like to sponsor us. The bottom line is we have the Bullyproof Classroom Store. You can go there, take a look, see what you might like. The prices are cheap. There's plenty of stuff there that you can use either in your classroom or in your home to help deal with bullying. Also, please take the time, and all these links will be in the episode description, please take the time to um, subscribe to the Anti-Bullying uh, Premium Podcast. It's a great, great thing. You'll get courses, you'll get product, you'll get premium podcasts, you'll get a lot of things that you won't get from the free podcast that I do, and it's there for you. It's $9.99 a month, and you get tons of stuff. So take the time to take a look at that if you would. And now, the last time we were together, prior to the interview with uh, Ryan, uh, we were talking about Classroom kryptonite, and the um, the title of the episode was "Our schools are filled with kryptonite," and we covered five of them. Five. Number one, we covered medical kryptonite. Then we covered behavioral kryptonite, and that dealt with respect and responsibility. Then we dealt with um, the idea of self-control, and I call that one entitlement kryptonite, where no one has self-control in our, in our country, and it's because they were not taught self-control when they were kids. And then we had, the, the last one that we covered was deceptive kryptonite, where we lie to kids. We lie to kids about their grades, about their behavior. We inflate them, uh, their, um, their abilities in their own eyes. And right now, kids can just about feel good about themselves for no apparent reason. And we're going to be covering something today that I think you're all going to probably be able to relate to. We're going to be covering five more. Uh, of these um, different uh, behaviors that we see in school. And the one that I want to um, cover with you uh, today is this. Um, it goes something like this. I like you, but... Have you ever done that? Have you ever said to a kid, you know, I like you, and then you follow it with a but, and the but means, but I don't like your behavior. 
This is what I call crazy kryptonite. And it is crazy. I mean, what don't what, what do you like about him if you don't like his behavior? What do you like about the person? I mean, I don't mean you know, you go around telling kids that you don't like them. But you have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with yourself. Say, do I really like this kid? And the kid will pick up on whether or not you like him or not just by looking at your body posture or taking a look at your face when he walks in the door because you were just hoping that he would be absent that day from school. The truth is we are all measured by our behavior. And we own our behavior. We are our behavior. Like me, but not my behavior? Come on. What are we talking about? You know, there's a lot of people around today who've done some pretty rough things in this world. Pretty bad things. There are people who are in prison because of it. And it's tough to think that you're going to like them but not like their behavior. Now, we can get into the whole mental illness thing. We can get into a, a lot of things. We can get into upbringing. We can get, get into environment. We can get into all of that. But in the final analysis, there's really some adults we don't like because of their behavior. And hell, we, we might be married to one. So are the kids any different? And the, the line that we have to be aware of is, I don't like you because of your behavior, and sometimes I go home and I pray every night that you don't come to school the next day. This is something that goes on. Now, this little gem came out of the self-esteem movement of the 60s and 70s. You know, certain phrases or philosophies that may have been, that may, they may have worked 40 years ago, but they suffer from what I call overuse injury or they're just antiquated. Students who are rude, discourteous, and disrespectful, I mean, and I want you to be honest again, they're difficult to like. So ask yourself, if you were treated by an adult in the same negative manner as a student may treat you, how hard would it be to stand by this statement? Hmm, it'd be pretty tough, wouldn't it? Now, these kids do become adults who may not be liked because of their behavior. And I'm not saying to go around, and once again, to tell kids that you don't like them. What I'm saying here is, they know all too well that we don't. And I shared it already. Our body posture, attitude, and words are all indicators of how we feel about certain students. The real question is, why do we, why do we even make the statement? And my gut feeling is that at times we can be intimidated by certain kids. And this is our way of giving the illusion that his or her behavior doesn't affect us. And in our own way, we're using this as a defense mechanism. And so we don't feel so intimidated by this student. I like you, but I don't like your behavior. Crazy kryptonite. There it is.
Now, I forgot to share one thing. Our Schools Are Filled With Kryptonite is a book. Once again, if you want to support the Bullyproof Classroom, go to the website, and I'll have it in the episode description. Buy the book. The link will be there for you to follow. And if you do that, you'll get all of this stuff in that book that you can read. It's downloadable. I'm not even sure what it cost. I mean, it's $6.99, something. It, it's ridiculously cheap considering the content that's in there. So take the time to do that. Now, let's take a look at abstract number seven. Number seven. This is number seven in one of the behaviors that fill our schools, that weaken our classrooms and the environment. Reasons, not excuses. Now, I call this circumstantial kryptonite. Now, excuses are built around circumstance. They're built around environment and genetic circumstances. Crimes get committed and circumstances always brought up. You know, tough upbringing or he was raised on the wrong side of the tracks are just two of the different excuses used. And we are determined. That's who we are and we can't change. That's baloney. That's what people begin to believe. We are only influenced by the circumstance. They don't determine our behavior. And if you provide enough excuses for anyone, you know what they're going to give you? The evidence to support your belief. And teachers, parents at times, police, the court system, they've been forced to excuse behavior by a dysfunctional system. And we've shoehorned this system into education. We've shoehorned it in because we, we're trying to make it fit. This is circumstantial kryptonite. Now, I've always enjoyed watching Court TV. Now, that was on years ago. And I enjoyed it because, you know, I, I kind of liked listening to the defense arguments. You know, I enjoy listening to how, you know, attorney for the defense can come up with all kinds of excuses to explain why a person on trial committed a crime. The defendant could even have confessed to the crime and the defense attorney will find some circumstance that caused the person to commit the crime, in essence, to excuse the crime. Now, I was watching once and there was a 15-year-old kid named Brian on trial for killing his grandparents two years earlier. He shot his grandparents in their sleep at close range with a shotgun, and this was all based around a girl that he was dating. Put the leash on the dog, walked out of the trailer that the grandparents lived in, and then he, he lights the trailer on fire. 
you know, and he got in the car and drove away. The trial went on for weeks. And I, I watched most of it. And the defense attorney was running out of ammunition, so he decided to play the card that was becoming very a very common excuse for deviant behavior. The defense attorney contended that the reason that this boy committed this heinous crime was because he had an adverse reaction to Zoloft, which is an antidepressant drug that he was taking at the time. And, you know, to be really honest with you, I was kind of on the edge of my seat listening to this. You know, that if a person can be found innocent for murder because of the, uh, you know, medication issue, you know, it, it, it would surprise me. It would surprise me. Now, bottom line is, you know, I, I still am shocked by it. And they start to consider these factors that cause deviant behavior. The, commerce, the person who committed the crime or behaved inappropriately will never be held responsible if you consider all of the excuses that could be used. Now, consequence are the only thing that will stop negative or deviant behavior, such as talking back, not completing homework, bullying, lying, speeding, sexual harassment, and the list goes on. And we've reached a point in society where kid, you know, parents have trouble managing their child's behavior or the school makes them aware that their child's acting inappropriately and they basically say, well, you know, and I've discussed this already, the behaviors are caused by ADHD or the teacher has unrealistic expectations or there's another child involved. They really think of holding themselves responsible or asking themselves, where am I going wrong here and what do I need to do to change? Or I need to hold my kid responsible. So what consequences should I impose? You see, this is all the stuff that's going on right now. And whether we want to believe it or not, it's lending itself to bullying behavior. Because you can excuse anything away, including bullying. It's easier to blame the school, administration, guidance counselors, other planets, medical conditions. In schools, teachers blame students' poor behavior on poor academic performance on a child's difficult circumstances at home or on the fact that the child's parents will not put the child on medication. If a person commits a crime that is punishable, the defense attorney will try to convince a jury that the person may be mentally ill and it comes from a pitiful or he comes from a pitiful family background. Now I've seen this. I've seen this. You know, I didn't just look at the student's isolated behavior at the time, but I considered what would happen if the behavior continued and how it would affect the student's behavior. 
There's plenty of reasons, plenty of reasons for a student's behavior. There are. There are reasons. Follow that word. Follow that word. There's plenty of reasons for it. But there are no excuses for it. And that's something that we have to be aware of. Plenty of reasons. By the way, um, the young man was found guilty. He was found guilty for what he did. Because the defense attorney's comment was, wait a minute, Zoloff's not on trial here. Zoloff's not on trial. The kid's on trial. So what did he do? He did this. He needs to be punished for the crime. He was only 15 years old. And he's probably still in jail today. He should be. Now, the next one that we have. And I call this one cooperative kryptonite. And my statement here is this. This is number eight. We've lost our independent thinkers. We've lost our independent thinkers. Everyone has to pass the state test, right? How is it administered? The, the kids are sitting in rows. Why are they taught in groups? If the test requires you to be in rows, why am I teaching you in groups? I mean, it's a known fact that you want to take the test in basically the same type of environment you were when you learned the content. And it's almost mandated in some districts that they sit in groups. Does everyone like working in groups? Some kids are introverted and prefer to work alone. This kid is going to earn himself a trip to the school psychologist because he's antisocial. How many jobs require people to work in pods of four to six all day long? You know, they don't. And if they did, no one would get any work done. That's just what's happening in schools. Now, many years ago, okay, I walked into my first real classroom. It was my first grade class, and I quickly found my desk was easy to find since the desks were arranged alphabetically. We were in rows. We were in rows. We stayed in our seat. We did what we had to do. And I am not, I am not criticizing cooperative learning. I am more of a, a fan of something that's called integrative learning, where you move from groups to, to seat work, where you're in rows. You can't live in a pod all day long because you're not going to get anything done. I mean, if I sat in a pod, let's say I was in the seventh grade, and the teacher was lecturing, and there was, and in my group was this cute little girl. You think that my attention is going to be on the teacher, or is it going to be on that little girl? It'll, I'll be trying to flirt with that little girl. And this is what goes on in school. Not the flirting piece, but the idea that kids are so distracted, okay, they can't pay attention to the teacher because of groups. Everybody wants kids to be in groups. They believe that it 
I guess it, it helps them become more social. It helps them become more social. Well, in school, there's one thing that I know. There's a teacher in front of the room, and we have to pay attention to that teacher, not to what the friends that are around us. This is cooperative kryptonite. Once again, it's a technique or some type of strategy that's been overused. Is working in groups good? Sure. Work on a project. Work on different things together. I get plenty of socialization in school, in the cafeteria, in gym, in a lot of places, just by hanging out on the playground. I don't need to... And what do you do if some of the kids in that group don't get along? What do you do if one of the kids who are in that group are being bullied? by someone in the group. This is the point that I'm making. It seems like we get to this point where we wrap our head around a new technique or strategy, and it's been around a long time, don't get me wrong, and then we fly with it and it becomes a requirement. You have to do it. And that's something that we have to look at. Cooperative kryptonite. Next one. You're going to love this one. Compliance or obedience. You know, years ago, the only thing we wanted was for kids to obey, and for some reason or another, now it's the last thing we get. As a matter of fact, obedience has become a dirty word. The educational folks, you know, spend their time attacking education from a theoretical standpoint, have never really spent any time interacting in a classroom with a group of wild kids. These folks liken the word obedience to dog training and they fear, fear that we're going to kind of like destroy the creative side of a kid's brain by not allowing him to choose and by forcing obedience. Okay, I got it. I got it. Okay, I understand it. So let's change obedience to compliance, which is what I did. I did. You know what the definition of compliance is? Doing what you're told, when you're told to do it with a good attitude. And if you leave the New Jersey Turnpike, there's a sign posted that says, you've left the Turnpike. Obey local speed laws. What, do we only have to obey when we get older? You know, it's, it's the whole thing you know, that we want to be so politically correct. And oftentimes, kids are telling their parents what they're going to do. They're going to tell their teachers what they're going to do. No, I'm telling you what to do and you have to obey. This is what I call non-compliance kryptonite. It's in our schools. What is it? You're asked to do something... Okay, and you do it when you're told with a good attitude. And the ground is not level. Someone is in charge. I'm the boss. I'm the teacher. I'm running this thing. And I have a boss. That's called the principal. And he's running a bigger thing called the school. That's how it's supposed to work. But for some reason or another things start to change a little bit before you know it, okay, over a period of time, and I probably mean over like 30 years, 
The bottom line is the kids are telling us what they're going to do. The kids are telling us what they're going to do, and that's not how it's supposed to work. They're not in charge. Now, my last one here that I'm going to share with you today. The playground's a parking lot. I mean, do kids know how to play anymore? I'm going to put a YouTube video up of uh, a, a talk that I gave. It was a three-minute talk on why we have to teach kids how to play again. That's what I want to, I'm going to put up for you. It's going to be in the episode description. Watch it. Watch it. And you'll get the idea of where I'm coming from. Run, jump, pull up, push up, throw a softball. Now those were the requirements for physical fitness set forth by President Kennedy in 1961 because he was afraid, and probably rightly so, that he, he said Americans were getting soft and we needed to exercise more. Well, we're getting softer. It's, it's, and it's only because our kids don't get out and play enough, at least not in school. Years ago, if we finished our work as a class, you know what we did? We'd go outside for a game of football or wiffle ball or softball or something. Now when kids are done with their work, you know what they can look forward to? More work. Or better yet, a brain break for about two minutes, which is basically equal to a good stretch. Childhood obesity diabetes. Let's put an end to them. You know how? Give kids more of an opportunity to run around on the playground. I call this kryptonite, desk-bound kryptonite. Now, there was a story that was in, um, that occurred in New Hampshire, at Wyndham uh, schools in New Hampshire. Can't play dodgeball anymore during gym class. The school district voted to ban dodgeball and other human target sports in a recent 4-1 to decision. This is going back a while. We spend a lot of time making sure our kids are violence-free. Uh, Wyndham Superintendent Henry LeBranche told the Eagle Tribune, here we have games where we use children as targets. That seems to be counter to what we're trying to accomplish with our anti-bullying campaign. It's a game. You hit them in the legs. If you follow the rules of the game, you're not supposed to throw it at their head. All you do is throw it at their legs or something to try and get them out of the game. It's a game. See, that's the other thing. Once they get hit, they got to get out. So now we're talking, we can't play it because it's a matter of exclusion now. We don't want to exclude anybody. Let's take a look at what's really happening here and why we have to help our kids develop greater resiliency and how to compete and develop stronger pro-social skills. And it's through something that I call playground politics. Bottom line, okay, if kids are going to participate in a sport, they have to understand that life is not win-win. 
You don't win all the time, and there isn't any win-win. You know, this idea we're going to exclude kids, we, you know, if kids can't participate, you know, in any game that doesn't involve any everybody. I mean, you go to a spelling, do you, uh, spelling bees today. You have a spelling bee. Kids get eliminated. People get eliminated. Things happen. And everyone doesn't win in a game. Everyone, you know, you play a game, you could get injured. There are things that happen. You fall down on the playground. They want to eliminate tag because you have too many tag-related injuries. Desk-bound kryptonite. It's weakening our kids. It's weakening our school. I mean, hell, if win-win was an actual thing that went on, and I, you know, win-win, you know, you have to really take a look at it. You know, we'd have two presidents, two Super Bowl champs, and two World Series champs because everyone wins. Competition is good. Kids need to compete. They need to compete for their place in life. They need to compete for jobs. They need to compete for uh, college entry. They need to compete for a lot of things, and they have to understand, okay, how to compete. There was a school district that had six kids who were within mega points of becoming valedictorians of a school. Not even going to get into where it was. So, parents complained, threatened lawsuits if their kid didn't become valedictorian. So you know what we ended up with? Or they ended up with? They ended up with six valedictorians. They gave them all a valedictory award and they got to uh, give that valedictory speech. All six. So, you know, how does that fit? Six valedictorians? They couldn't have all been the same, but they were so close they decided to award it to all of them. Go figure. Playground politics teaches kids how to make friends. Kids are in school. You know, they go out on the playground. They start running around. They choose up sides. You know, the whole bit. And they get going. They get a game going. I did a little work in a school many years ago. The kids were on the playground. They didn't do anything. They were standing around talking. I brought out a basketball to shoot baskets with them. They started throwing the basketball at each other. They don't know how to play, and that's something we have to teach kids how to do again, and that's play. Play. Kids play. And when we're out there playing, another thing that playground politics teaches kids is this. It teaches them how to respect someone else's ability. Look, I was a heavy kid when I was in school. I couldn't run as fast as other kids. And the one thing I didn't want to become if we were playing tag was it. Because everybody would catch me, and then if I was it, I couldn't catch anybody else. So I was it for a long time. The bottom line is, the bottom line is, I had to respect the kids that were faster than I was. I had to teach kids that, you know, you know, I had to understand that kids were faster than I was. And here's, a, you know, a pretty 
interesting one that I want you to understand. You know, we all work as adults. We're all on the job. We're working, you know, and so on. And we get burned out. We get exhausted. We end up having, you know, uh, high blood pressure. We end up having uh, probably uh, weight problems. We don't exercise enough, you know, and so on. Well, I've gone over it a thousand times about the areas that we have to balance in our life. Gone over it. And the balance is you have to have a physical balance, mental balance, social and emotional balance, and a spiritual balance. When you take all of those four things and you put them into one pot, you know, you start to integrate them into your life slowly. So, you know that when you go home, I mean, if you're trying to figure out how you're going to exercise, you're either going to exercise early in the morning or later at night, and you only you can determine that schedule. Why? Because you know when you have the time. And if you have the time, if you have 15 or 20 minutes in the evening, you could do a little exercise in front of the TV, or you could not watch TV, and you can go in the garage or down the cellar and jump rope, lift weights, do something, okay, to keep yourself in shape. And as the weather gets nicer, you could take long walks. There's a lot of things that you could do, but you got to figure out how to do it, and that comes with balance. Kids are not balanced today. They, we are trying, when we put kids in a desk and we make them desk-bound all day long, we set them up for the same imbalances that we experience as adults. That's desk-bound kryptonite. It's weakening the kid as an individual. And when you teach kids that... We're in school, we're learning, but now, okay, we have to go out and move around and play. You're giving them the tools for lifelong health. And they will understand that going forward. So when they come home from work and they are tired, okay, they'll realize that that walk or that five minutes of jumping rope or walking in place or weightlifting or whatever you want to do, that 20 minutes, if you could just put it in, you're going to feel a whole lot better. And kids don't realize that the physical activity will make them feel better because they were never taught that that's something that they can use to help give them more energy. And I don't have to go over with you, you know, the idea that when I was a kid, what we did you got up, we were not allowed in the house. We had to get out of the house. And I know we're in, we're in the communication era. I know we're in a, in a time uh, of uh, our evolution where kids are on iPhones, iPads, they're playing games, everything is technology-based. Kids don't go anywhere, anywhere without their iPhone. I understand that. But there is a balance that needs to be struck between, you know, sitting around and exercise. We were not allowed to sit around in our house. We had to get out of the house. And kids are not told, get out, 
Get out of the house. Go play. Get out. Furthermore, we have a situation right now with this COVID-19 where kids, a lot of kids, are on uh, um, remote learning, online learning. How do they get any activity? It's up to the parents to say, you've got to get out. We had some snow here. Kids, had, kids were able to go a little, do a little sleigh riding. But kids don't know that the, um, the steps toward lifelong fitness may be just going out with mom or dad and taking a walk or going out and, and uh, running around, you know, and just, you know, throwing a ball up against the wall. They don't get that because they were never taught it. They were never taught it. Deskbound kryptonite. That's my five areas that I believe are weakening our schools. That's for today. We have five more. This will be uh, up on our um, in our episode description as uh, part two. Part two. So we just covered. Uh, let's see. We started at five, right? Deceptive kryptonite, crazy kryptonite, circumstantial kryptonite, cooperative kryptonite, and non-compliance kryptonite. And we also went over the playground is now a parking lot, which is desk-bound kryptonite. Now, you want to hear the next five that are coming up? We have... No fear, cocky kryptonite. No child left behind, off track kryptonite. Parents need parenting, adult children kryptonite. And then we have abstract 14, okay, political correctness kryptonite, or what I call muzzled kryptonite. And then we have the adult bully kryptonite. So those are the next five that are coming up. That'll be in our next episode. Now, you, as I said, you can get this book, Our Schools Are Filled with Kryptonite, right off the episode description. I'll put the link in. Make sure that you subscribe to the Anti-Bullying a Premium Podcast. That'll help us with our cause. And also take a look at the Bullyproof Classroom Store. I'm sure you're going to love the, the things that you see there. So, there you have it. You got 10 things that are weakening our schools. You'll get five more that'll complete this series. This will be up on our, um, um, on our platform very soon. It's going to be The Schools Are Filled with Kryptonite Part 2. Please listen. Please share it with others. Share Part 1. Share as many episodes as you like. My name is Jim Burns. You have been listening to Anti-Bullying 101. I thank you for listening. I thank you for your support. And we're going to see you the next time in the next episode. Have a great day, everybody.